Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Fanduel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 533-42 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text Hope NY in New York. Five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. And welcome in to another crossover podcast between Palmer Toms and myself, Dogs HQ, the Bam on Three Show, BCS Alabama. I don't even know. We got. I got. 50 different names i don't know about you palmer but it it, it kind of gets confusing with all the different names you know bam on three the bam on three show bcs alabama uh bcs alabama i don't even know if you know this but it actually stands for bama coming soon so we got another name coming in the near future just don't want to reveal that just yet but it makes for a lot of confusing how do you reference us um hey. but you're, you're, you're the Bama on three site. You're the Bama on three site and you are Clint Lamb. That's that's every all anybody needs to know. Um, the man, the myth, the legend, the, one of the best in the business covering Alabama Crimson Tide football. I, I feel like we just talked. Does it not feel like we just talked? I mean, I mean, I mean, it does. It does, because it was, you know, as we're recording this on January 4th, one month ago today, we watched, you know, Georgia and Alabama play at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Uh, and, and you know, less, you know, a week from now, we'll know who the national champion is as these two teams have squared off once again. So, yeah, it, it, it does. I went back and checked the date of publication there, December 1st. So just over a month ago that we, uh, we talked. And honestly, I mean, you know, I, I think as we were kind of laying out the guidelines for what we want to cover today, it's, you know, what happened then, what has changed, and what to expect. Um, you know, I, I think that that's a uh, good structure for this podcast because, like you said, we've covered a lot of these matchups. 
these are two programs that are very familiar with each other, you know, having played four times in the smart Saban era. Um, I guess, you know, an Alabama fan may feel slighted here in it as a smart Saban era. So, you know, with, with the uh, respect for Nick Saban, we'll call it the Saban smart era. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I know Georgia fans get all heated about that with the Georgia, Florida, Florida, Georgia rivalry. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I think that these are two teams that are very familiar with each other uh, and, and two coaches that are obviously very familiar with each other. And like you said, um, you know, we're two reporters that are very familiar with each other, having had this same conversation about a month ago. Let's go ahead and get this out of the way uh, real quick. Neither one of us even remotely saw what happened a month ago coming. I don't care if, you know, you, I, I ended up picking Georgia. Of course, you picked Georgia as well, understandably so. And, and I did see some avenues for Alabama to win the game, but I did not see the way that the game turned out, it, it turning out that way. Now, granted, um, I think going in, there was a part of me, and I don't know, I don't remember if we talked about it on, you know, the crossover podcast or if I just mentioned it on some radio interviews that I was doing that week. But I did make mention that I wondered how much, you know, having a mulligan, if you're Kirby Smart and you're Georgia, if that would matter. You know, if you get down two or three scores, you understand, you know, why would you try to pull out all the stops at that point and try to make a comeback just to come up short? And now you've revealed, you know, everything that you've got. Um, that's kind of what ended up happening. I think that, that you know, score, I, I thought it was a huge score for Georgia when they scored right before the end of the first half. And then Alabama went down and scored. And I think that was the turning point of the football game because they got the football to start the second half and they had been able to create a little bit of separation at that point. And that's really where, you know, that's where Stetson Bennett started throwing interceptions. He was having to press a little bit. Uh, that completely changed the dynamic of the game. And I do feel like, and, and maybe you can disagree if, if you want to, but it just felt like, you know, it, it felt like a lot of points and, and it felt like very slim chance that Georgia was coming back. So it did feel like that Kirby Smart maybe pulled back the reins a little bit on, you know, their, their kind of attack mode uh, in the fourth quarter of that football game because it's like you live to fight another day. It wasn't their day. And here they are in the national championship. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely agree with you that the turning point in that game was that 14-point you know, run there. Um, you know, I, I think that, um, you know, it, and we, we've discussed it on our end over at Dog Walk Talk. It was 17-17, and then by the time that Stetson Bennett touched the ball once again, he was down two scores. That is not, you know, you, you can't put the blame on Stetson Bennett there, um, which I, I know a lot of Georgia fans have wanted to put the blame on Stetson Bennett for the outcome of that game. Um, or at least part of the blame, you know, to, to go along with the defense. He, he's not a quarterback that's built to play from behind. Um, you know, he, he's very much a game manager mold. Um, you know, Alabama fans are very familiar with that. Kirby Smart is very familiar with that from his time at Alabama. And so I think that, you know, when you're talking about Stetson Bennett, the two games that he has thrown the most passes in over the course of his career, he has lost both of them both to Alabama, the, the 2020 matchup in the regular season in Tuscaloosa and the 2021 SEC championship game. He is a quarterback that, that is supposed to be complementary to everything that you do offensively and defensively. Um, you know, they, they don't want to put all the game, all the pressure on him. Uh, and I think that that's what happened when you get down 14 points to an offense that couldn't be stopped. I mean, Alabama scored what five, six straight times. Um, you know, and and once Georgia ended up getting a couple of stops, they did in the second half. They, they gave themselves a chance offensively. Um, 
Setson Bennett turned the ball over. And, and to me, I think that, you know, the turning point in that game was, was that 14 point swing that, you know, Georgia ties it up 17, 17, but gets the ball back down 31, 17. Um, but the, the nail in the coffin was the pick six, the, the, you know, the, actually I would say, you know, the, the drive down the field into Georgia territory, into the red zone and coming up empty handed there, very demoralizing, but the pick six was the nail in the coffin at, at the start of that fourth quarter. And like you said, I think, you know, Georgia put up more points. They, they just kept throwing the ball to Brock Bowers and, and said, Hey, if, if you know, if you're not going to stop him, then we're going to get in the end zone. Um, but you know, I, I, I do agree with you there that I think that Kirby smart pulled the reins back a little bit and said, we're going to be in this playoff and we're going to live to fight another day. Uh, and, and, you know, we're, we're going to, you know, try and get this rematch here, whether that was in the semifinals or the national championship, like we're seeing. Yeah. And, you know, another tell me if you disagree or tell me if you think I'm wrong, totally fine. We don't have to agree on everything on this podcast, but it probably it, makes no, better podcasting if we don't. Yeah, it really does. Um, but you might agree because I, I mean, it, it's what I saw on tape and it's one of the big reasons why I think it's a lot more difficult. I mean, anybody that believes that the outcome of this game on Monday is going to be the same as the outcome that happened a month ago there's a lot of things pointing in a different direction, not saying it's pointing towards a Georgia win necessarily, even though I think that that is very possible. Um, I think more so that it is, you know, pointing towards it being a much closer game. And that's that going into the sec championship based off of what I saw Georgia do defensively, it felt like to me that going in, they, they believed that they were not going to have to get too creative with their blitz packages, with sending pressure from different areas. I mean, Alabama's offensive line that struggled all year. It was coming off an iron bowl where it looked absolutely atrocious. It felt like that Georgia just believed that they were going to be able to line up, be pretty standard, and they were going to beat Alabama's guys pretty much with their front four, you know, not having to send any extra pressure. Of course, it didn't end up working out that way, but I also think that that might be why you know, going into this game, I guarantee you, and I've told everybody that I've talked to, if you think that George is going into this game with that same mentality, you are out of your mind. They're going to be creative. They're going to try to get after Bryce Young a lot more. And that's where I think it ended up being a difference between what happened a month ago and what can happen on Monday. Yeah, I would be very surprised if Georgia gets shut out in the sack column once again, because that, that was the only time that it happened all season. Um, you know, the only time that they didn't have multiple sacks outside of that was against Vanderbilt, and they won that game 62 to nothing. They didn't need the sacks to, uh, to win that game. Um, you know, I, I, think that, I think that you're right. I think that, um, you know, it, it's a situation where Georgia thought that they could get pressure very naturally. They've done it pretty naturally all season, um, you know, and, and I think that with an, with an understanding now that you can't, um, you know, not, not that they can't get pressure naturally, but that they can't let Bryce Young just sit back there comfortably, that he can extend plays even when they do get pressure naturally. Um, they've got to get more creative in terms of how they're going to bring the pressure, how they're going to attack Bryce Young, how they're going to attack this very beat up offensive line from what I've seen. Um, and, and, and that's something that I'm sure we'll get into here. Um, but I, yeah, I, I do agree with you there once again that I think that Georgia is going to get a lot of pressure, more pressure in this game than they did in that last one. Um, because you, you, a diff, defensive mind like Kirby Smart, defensive minds on that assistant staff, whether it's Dan Lanning, who's on his way to be a head coach, uh, Will Muschamp, who has been a head coach, uh, and, and Glenn Schumann, who's serving as a co defensive coordinator and, and is going to be the longest tenured assistant on this staff. Um, 
the only remaining coach from Kirby's first staff at, at Georgia. Um, they are going to find, as Lewis seen Georgia safety has called it, um, and, and several other players on that defense have have you know kind of backed him up in saying this. That group of masterminds, that defensive mastermind group, is going to find a way to get pressure. They know that they can't leave those defensive backs on an island in this game because you've got guys like Jamison Williams who can make you pay. Obviously, Mechie won't be out there, unfortunately for Alabama, and unfortunately for him, um, you know, with, with his ACL injury that he suffered in that in that game. Um, but you've you've got very talented guys stepping up in his place, whether that's Ja'Cory Brooks or, or other guys. Slade Bolden had a big game against Cincinnati. Um, and so I think that even without Mechie, you can't just say we're going to sit back and we're going to, you know, let Bryce Young pick us apart in the, on, in, in the back end of our defense and count on being able to stop those guys. You've got to be able to get pressure on the quarterback. And, and I think that Kirby Smart and his coaching staff is going to make that a priority this week. And, you know, for, from my perspective, I think a big part of that, you know, I don't think, and I'm sure you would probably agree, I think Georgia's got some good pass rushers. I don't think they have an elite pass rusher. You know, Adam well, they, Anderson they, they was, did, and they lost one. Yeah, Adam Anderson was supposed to be that guy, and he was fantastic. He was no longer with the team. Um, I don't really know what's going on with that situation. I haven't checked on it in a while. I guess it's not really relevant at this point in time, but it's kind of left Georgia in a little bit of a, you know, they – in a lot of situations where maybe you can't generate and just have your guys be more talented and, and outperform just based off of talent against who they're going against. And you got to get a little creative with how you're creating that pressure. Nicobe Dean to me, you know, he leads the team in sacks, great off ball blitzer can pretty much do everything. I think he's a huge X factor in this game. Doesn't really rack up a ton of tackles. You know, I think he's got like 68 right now, which isn't a ton. I mean, Henry Toto has broken a hundred, but just because he didn't rack up tackles, I mean, he makes, an impact in pretty much every category. I mean, he's great in coverage. He's a, he's a good run stopper. Granted, I don't think he's a stack and shit type of linebacker. I think he's more of a see it. And, you know, uh, you know his closing speed is very, you know, solid. Reactionary. Um, he's very yeah. reactionary in, in his playing style. And, and you saw it against Michigan. Absolutely. You really did. I think he's a huge X factor in this game going in. And, but where else do you think that maybe Georgia can get some of that pressure? Yeah, I think you've got to look at a guy like Nolan Smith to to step up. Uh, he was a little bit banged up at the end of the regular season. Not quite sure how much that affected him in that SEC championship game. Um, you know, he, he was he was healthy. He was playing. Um, he he missed the so he got hurt against Tennessee, um, which was the third to last game of the season uh, in the regular season. That is did not play against Charleston Southern in, in Georgia's final home game of the season and then made uh, set, made his debut back onto the field uh, against Georgia Tech. So this Alabama game was just his second game back post-injury. Um, you know, I, I don't know how much it was affecting him, but you know that three weeks off certainly helped him um, and, 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 you know, feel more comfortable with where he's at. Um, and, and so I think that, you know, a guy like Nolan Smith, he had a sack against uh, Michigan – you know, being able to get back in that sack column has got to feel, you know, good, has got to be some positive momentum. Trayvon Walker is another guy that I think that can create some pressure naturally 
um, off that edge. And, and so, you know, th- those are two guys that I certainly look at. Um, Channing Tindall's been a little bit quiet here recently, um, and, and, w- and it would not surprise me by any means for him to step up. Quay Walker had a very strong game against Michigan, um, was all over the field, whether that was, you know, chasing down tacklers, um, meeting ball, you know, ball carriers in open space mm-hmm. or, or, you know, deflecting balls at the line of scrimmage. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that he's a guy, you know, both T- Tindall and Walker, Channing Tindall and Quay Walker, that is, um, can, can make plays in space like an outside linebacker from that inside linebacker position. They're a little bit bigger than Nicobe Dean. Nicobe Dean has that ability too, um, but as a little bit smaller, as a little bit more of your field general, you kind of want to keep him back there rather than bringing him off to the edge. Um, but he is, you know, like you said, somebody that is very reactionary, can, can make plays when, when his name is called. Um, so I, I really look to those linebackers um, and, and, you know, the, the edge rushers and, and Nolan Smith and Trayvon Walker there uh, to, to, to step it up and make an impact in this game. I, like we said, I think that you have to, and I, and I put it in my three questions this week um, for Georgia ahead of Alabama. Um, you know, first of all, started it off by saying, I promise you, you haven't gone back in time. It's, it's not, uh, you know, it's not December, 2021. It's still January, 2022, based on the first eight words of the, uh, headline being the exact same as it was a month ago. Um, but I I think that, you know, one of these keys is, you know, it, it was key in that game and, and Georgia failed to do so, but it's going to be key in this game is getting pressure on Bryce Young. Yeah, uh, 100% agree. And that's where, you know, people are asking, um, you know, what are some of the differences that can happen? What's Georgia going to try to do differently? And you can probably speak to that a lot more than I could. You know the team better than I do. But I feel like that's the number one thing that, that, you know, pops into my head. Now, granted, I think that Alabama did a very good job. They hadn't really ran tempo for much of the season, pretty much the entire season. And it was very frustrating when we talked about it, you know, letting, uh, you know, play clocks get down to you know three or four seconds left where the defense is able to anticipate when you're going to snap the football and how that naturally takes away an advantage from especially your offensive tackles handling speed rushers off the edge but they went tempo against Georgia had a lot of success doing it I think they kind of threw Georgia off balance a little bit I think they'll be much better prepared Uh, granted you know I think a lot of people should have seen that coming but then you watch them against Cincinnati and I know that a lot of questions have come up this week because they went tempo on like that first drive, that scripted drive, and then they didn't go tempo for really the rest of the game. And, you know, some people wonder now, hold up, is that, are they getting back to their old ways? Or was that just against Cincinnati? I think that was more a schematic thing based off of what Cincinnati was giving them. They were able to run the football pretty much at will. You could get deep into your play clock. And, you know, it, it kind of takes away from what Georgia, how much Georgia is able to use the, the Cincinnati game as kind of a barometer and, and try to figure out ways to attack Alabama based off of that. Um, a lot of people are concerned with, you know, the fact that Alabama's passing game somewhat struggled against Cincinnati. I think it was more so a situation where Bryce Young, A, he respected Cincinnati's secondary. It's by far the biggest strength of the team. And he said, okay, if we're playing great defense and we're running the football and having a ton of success, why in the world would I take a, a chance throwing at Sauce Gardner or Kobe Bryant or James Cook and, you know, maybe allowing them to make a game-changing or a momentum-altering play. So he was very safe with the football, did not look super comfortable. Now, granted, you know, being off for close to a month, you know, traveling to New York to win a Heisman and, and all these other places, that can, of course, make you a little bit rusty. But in my opinion, that was kind of the approach for Alabama um, going into that game. And I think that, you know, the way that they're going to attack Georgia is going to be polar opposite 
uh, as to how the how they attacked Cincinnati in the semifinal game. Yeah, I mean, I think that it, the polar opposite of that would be the exact way that they attacked Georgia in that SEC championship game, which brings me to this question for you, Clint. You know, all this conversation about this rematch and how much you you balance, you know, changing things up versus keeping things the same if you're if you're the Crimson Tide. Um, you know, how much do you expect Alabama to keep the same? Say, hey, this worked. Why would we change a thing? Because if you're on the Georgia side of things, not much worked. So you're 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 willing to change almost anything and everything to to you know try and come out with a little bit better of an outcome this time. If you're Alabama and, and you had that, you know, almost perfect game plan, how much do you train try and change in this in this rematch? It is difficult. And that's why I think it, it can be problematic to have to play the same team twice because you look at what you did successfully and you're kind of in a catch-22. You know, if you change it too much to try to head off what Georgia is going to do to adjust to that and it doesn't work, a lot of people are going to be questioning, hey, you did this in the first game. It was successful. Why in the world didn't you do that more? Um, you know, so your people are going to be questioning you. If you don't change enough, obviously Georgia is making adjustments right now. They've been making adjustments for a while based off of ways that they were exploited against Alabama in the SEC championship. So you got to try to stay ahead of that. What you did well in that game, the likelihood of you being able to do that effectively in a second matchup, um, you know, that's that I think that that's not the way that you want to go about it. Now, granted, here's an issue that I wonder how much Alabama will run into as far as it being a problem. And that is the health of Brian Robinson Jr. You lose John Mechie. And I think that we saw the effects of that a little bit against Cincinnati. I think it was a little bit, you know, people have made that a much bigger deal than it was. I don't think the drop off from him to Ja'Cory Brooks is that significant, even though I think John Mechie, I mean, obviously he's a great player, very important Alabama's offense. I don't think that Alabama on the short to intermediate stuff is as in much of trouble as people think based off of the Cincinnati game. But you, you take him out of the passing attack. You add Brian Robinson to the rushing attack. You know, he, he played in the first game, but he wasn't even close to being 100% healthy. He looked very healthy rushing for over 200 yards against Cincinnati. What I worry about is Alabama saying, okay, let's commit more to the run game against Georgia because we have this healthy running back. I think you need to, you know, I wonder if Brian Robinson being hampered in that game forced Alabama into a, a plan that really benefited them in the end. And that is you run the football just enough to make Georgia respect it, but more so how you beat Georgia. They're one of the top run defenses in the country. Their front seven doesn't really have an elite top tier pass rusher right now, but stopping the run, they're fantastic. Don't play into that. Michigan played right into that. You know, they, that's predominantly how they, they run their offenses. They're a run heavy team. They're very effective at running the football and they weren't able to do that. And it's just, it was a lot of plays that, that fed right into Georgia's hand. And if Alabama gets too run heavy here, you know, I could see them doing something very similar and, and it actually benefiting Georgia by them doing that. I think that, you know, I think Brian Robinson, the first game had 16 carries. I would have him around there, you know, 16, 18, probably 20 at the max. I would not have him at 26 carries or 28 or 30. Um, and so that is something, I, you know, I kind of wonder how they're going to end up balancing that out. Having him healthy, obviously, is a huge boost. Don't get me wrong, because I think he could be even more efficient with his touches. I just don't think that you need to get into that mindset of, well, we've taken a step back with our passing tack, losing Mechie. We've got, you know, uh, you know, our rushing attack should be better with a healthy Brian Robinson. Let's run the, let's try to run the football a lot more. I don't think that's going to benefit Alabama. I think the key is going to be Bryce Young, but it's a matter of if that offensive line can hold up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I definitely think that 
like you said, Michigan played into Georgia's strength there of stopping the run. Um, and, and I think that it was, you know, Georgia was able to capitalize on those opportunities, jump ahead early, and that's where Michigan felt uncomfortable and felt like they had to go to the air. Well, how did that turn out? They threw two interceptions on, on back-to-back drives. Darian Kendrick comes up with both of them. Um, you know, and, and so I think that you know you you saw the way that Michigan played right into um, Georgia's strengths. And and if you watched the other game, you know, from the from the Georgia perspective, you watched the Cotton Bowl. You saw a team that you know that won a football game playing against a uh, you know playing a style of football that Georgia has had a lot of success stopping. And so you know I I think that you're probably right where it, you're going to see more of Brian Robinson because of a he's healthy and b John Mechie is not healthy. Um, but you, I think that you know if, if you're Alabama. If you are Bill O'Brien, you understand the way that you attacked Georgia this first time, and you understand the way that you know teams have had success trying to attack them this year, um, or teams haven't had success trying to attack them this year. Well, teams haven't had much success trying to run the ball on Georgia. Teams have had you know any sort of success um, that they've had. It's typically been by passing the ball, and that's that's where Alabama um, you know hit them and, and hit them hard. Um, you know, while, while we're on the topic of the run game, I do think it's going to be interesting to see offensively for Georgia here. Um, if they try and rely on the run a little bit more, they rush for 190 yards against Michigan. Obviously a lot of that was, was to, you know, take the pressure off of, of Stetson minute late in that game, run the clock some, you know, and, and get out of there with the win. Um, I, but I also think that if you looked at that first little bit of that Alabama game, they were very successful running the ball. And, and, and I was surprised by the amount of success that they were having. And all of a sudden, like we said, they get down two scores against Alabama. You know, it's, it's a, you know, it's a 17, 17 game. They, they did a good job of mixing the pass with the run. And I think that that's where Georgia has been successful all season. Well, all of a sudden it goes from a 17, 17 game to a 31, 17 game. And Georgia feels the pressure to, you know, pass the ball. They feel the need to do that. And that's where Stetson Bennett made his mistakes. Um, so I'm, I'm very curious to see if Georgia comes out and stays committed to that run, because I felt like if they had stayed committed to the run a little bit longer, maybe they would have cut into that 14 point deficit a little bit and made it a seven point deficit. And then of course they got the stops where they had opportunities to come back, but because they made the mistakes in the passing game, Stetson Bennett did, um, you know, and, and I'm not putting this game, putting that game on Stetson Bennett. A lot of it is because of the play calling there. I think that, that he was in those situations um, where he could make the mistakes, but I'm very curious to see if Georgia, you know, says, all right, well, you know, we're, we're at the final game of the season. Um, you know, there, there's no point in saving Zamir White or James Cook anymore. Um, you know, there's let's let's you know, let's use them, uh, use them while we got them and, and, and you know, run the ball and you know, it's where Georgia has had a lot of success over the years. They, they're able to set up a lot of play action passing game based off of their run game. And, and that's where Brock Bowers has been so successful as a tight end. Um, it's where they've been able to hit some of these deep shots with guys coming downhill, trying to attack the run and beating them over the top with the likes of Jermaine Burton. Um, you know, you get a running back out in space like that. Um, you know, a running back lined up against a linebacker, James Cook, in that role. Um, and, and and you saw it with with Michigan. They bit on the run, and Kenny McIntosh hit him over the top with the halfback pass. So I'm very curious to see how Georgia commits to the run game in this game, just as much as Alabama does. 
100%. Yeah, I think that that's a great point. And it's also something that, you know, you look back and you say, well, Alabama had success against Georgia uh, uh, against their, their rushing offense. Really, they didn't. It's just the game script and the way that things started to play out really played into Alabama's hand of it got Georgia out of what they're really comfortable doing. And I think ultimately that needs to be the goal again if you're Alabama. How you go about achieving that, you didn't really stop the run as, as well as you think you did. Um, so you got, have got to be better. I mean, they're the number two uh, run. They have the number two run defense in the country right now, right ahead of Georgia. They're very good at stopping the run. But in that particular game, if they could have, or if Georgia could have, like you said, uh, continued to kind of ride their run game, I do think they were having success. I just think they got away from it a little bit too early. And, you know, if you look at Alabama, when you talk about, you know, passing attacks that have caused them issues, sure, there have been, you know, it's either been coverage bust downfield, it's been committing penalties downfield, you know, whether it be pass interferences or defensive holdings or whatever, or it was giving up big plays uh, downfield. But also tight ends have had a lot of success against Alabama throughout the season. Running backs out of the backfield in certain games have had uh, success. And when you look at Brock Bowers and what he was able to do in that first matchup, you know, he certainly had success. And I think that Alabama is going to put a huge emphasis on trying to slow him down. It's very difficult to do because you can line him up at the X, the Y, the Z, you know, it could be a move tight end. It could be an inline tight end. You know, it's very difficult. And I think Alabama needs to be wary of where he's at on the field on every snap and have a plan for how they're going to try to stop him. Yeah. But uh, uh, an area that I feel like that Georgia, you know, they, uh, even though he did get, I think he had a career high in, in snaps against Alabama I think it was 38 and that was James Cook but his you know his production I think he got 15 touches didn't really do a whole lot with it I think it was like 66 yards last year against Alabama didn't have nearly that amount of touches but he went for over 100 yards receiving led the team had a big pop play I think he scored a touchdown as well yeah um, had the 80 yard receiving touchdown yeah so if I'm you know if I'm Georgia the way I'm attacking Alabama is I'm, I'm trying to go to the tight end because that's been a huge, you know, why would you not? They pretty much go to him every week and he has success. Um, and then I'm, I'm probably utilizing James Cook a lot more. And I talked about players on BCS Alabama earlier, uh, three Georgia offensive players that if, Al, you know, Alabama needs to be weary of going into this game. And it was Brock Bowers and uh, James Cook was was one of the other ones. And, uh, you know, that's, that's a, an approach that I would take at least going in. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, and I, and I felt like we mentioned it beforehand, um, you know, before that first game saying that in the past, Georgia, had, the way that Georgia had attacked Alabama was with those running backs, whether it was James Cook um, in that 2020 matchup or DeAndre Swift in the 2018 matchup. Um, you know, they, they did it in, in, in a sort of with, with Nico Hardman, not necessarily a running back, but, you know, a, a, a dynamic wide receiver in, in that way in that 2017, um, 2017 uh, season 2018 national championship game. Um, you know, I, I think that, you know, like you said, Georgia didn't do quite as much of that with this one. Um, they, they did uh, utilize the tight end a lot. And, and I think that th that is certainly, especially coming off of a great game that James Cook just had against Michigan, um, another physical team, another physical defense, you're gonna, you're gonna see Georgia trying to utilize him. Um, here's an interesting fact that I found, um, you know, in doing a little bit of research here, um, you know, and, and we talked about rematches earlier and, and we all know the, the, the saying is it's hard to beat a team twice. It, you know, it, because of that aspect of 
well, if you do, if you're the, if you're on the winning side, you don't want to change much up because it went right. You, you came out on top, but if you lose, it's, it's, you got everything to change and everything to lose um, or, or nothing to lose um, in, in 22 bowl matchups of teams that, that played during the regular season, the team that lost in the regular season is 15 and seven. Uh, including winning the last one, two, three, four, five, six. Um, of those six, five have been 17 or more point swings. So I think it's certainly interesting to, uh, to, to see a matchup like this. Obviously, there haven't been as many you know, rematches on a huge stage like this. You see it in a, in a regular season and in a conference championship rematch. Um, you know, Georgia is familiar with that from the 2017 SEC championship game losing to Auburn in the regular season and then playing them and beating them in the SEC championship game that year. But Alabama fans are familiar with it from, from the 2011 season, having lost to LSU in the regular season and then having a 24 point swing and, and winning the national championship over the Tigers 21 to nothing in, uh, in, in early 2012. Yeah. And that if you're an Alabama fan, uh, we're really just not being an Alabama fan. If you're an SEC fan, the, two of the ones that you're looking at that really stand out are that LSU game that you're talking about. And I understand that Kerryon Johnson was not healthy in that SEC championship, but watching Georgia lose the way they did to Auburn, playing them uh, just a couple of weeks later um, in the SEC championship, very different outcome. It went from being a blowout in Auburn's favor to really a blowout in Georgia's favor in a lot of ways. And so that's something that always comes to mind. And like I said, Kerryon Johnson, the entire offense and a lot of, pretty much was built around his skill set and he was not healthy. And so I understand that that certainly plays into things, but it does just kind of prove the fact that, you know, the, the one thing that I think is playing in Alabama's favor here is the, the amount of time between those two games. Now, granted, Alabama had that same amount of time against LSU back in, you know, the, the 2011 season, the 2012 national championship, and they used it to their advantage. Um, you know, having, and I, I also wanted to get your opinion on this as well with, you know, how much do you think that Kirby Smart and Georgia were able to kind of go ahead and start putting a little bit of their focus towards, you know, more than likely Alabama, because I think that now granted Nick Saban would never admit it. And if you heard me say this, um, I probably well, Kirby would never admit this either. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it probably wouldn't be good for either of us if we brought this up to either of them, but you know, I think that playing Cincinnati, and, and don't get me wrong, I mean, I, I've heard Alabama fans complain about Bill O'Brien and some of his play calling, you know, early in the second half and the fact that he, you know, they're having so much success running the football, and yet all of a sudden they start throwing the football out of nowhere for, you know, uh, a couple of drives. And to me, and I could be wrong here, it's purely speculation, but it felt like Alabama felt pretty in control of the game. And it was almost like they were tinkering a little bit and they were trying to play around with some things. And if they were that confident at that point in the game, I think they were pretty confident going in. I think Nick Saban's reactions, um, you know, the players were very confident going in. You know, they felt slighted. They felt like the underdog, whatever you want to call it. I, I do think that maybe they did put some attention towards Georgia. Um, I wonder how much attention Georgia put towards Alabama when, you know, Michigan's a very good football team, but I think everybody knew, you know, if you're Georgia, you got to get over that Alabama hump. Yeah, um, I, I, it, it's certainly interesting, and it's probably something that we'll never really know. Um, but I do think that you know when you get into that postseason model of and that time between games, not all of your effort is put into the opponent that you're playing in that semifinal. 
a lot of it, you go into this camp mode where you, you, you prepare for yourself. And I think that in doing that, preparing for yourself, working on yourself, I think that because of Georgia coming off of that Alabama game, they were looking at that Alabama game quite a bit. They were trying to fix some of the things that they didn't do well against Alabama. And, and, and not to mention the fact that these are two teams that are similarly built um, already, you know, from, from the you know, co- perspective of the coaches, you know, having worked together for so long, I think that they probably were doing a lot of work on themselves and, and, and on correcting things that they hadn't done correctly in that Alabama game. Uh, but I think that, you know, at the same time, they were doing that, um, you know, in, in doing so, they were helping themselves prepare for the potential rematch with Alabama. Now, I also think that, like you said, in, in, in the Cotton Bowl, um, you were looking at, you know, the way that Bill O'Brien kind of called that game and, and, and took it out of the hands of Bryce Young, gave it to Brian Robinson more um, and, and essentially said, Hey, let's get out of here without showing too much. Let's get out of here and, and, and go play. Uh, you know, let's get out of here as quick as possible. Let's run this clock, you know, and, and get out of here and go play Georgia um, or, or whoever was going to win that orange bowl ends up being Georgia. Georgia was ahead 27 to three at the half and against Michigan. And I think that they felt like they were in very firm control of that game. And you looked at the way, if you look at the way that Georgia called that second half, it was a lot more conservative. It was a lot more run the football. It was a lot more, let's get out of here because we know that we're going to play Alabama next and we don't want to show anything. Um, you know, the, these two teams have played already. So they probably have seen quite a bit of each other, but like you said earlier, I, I do think that Georgia probably held a little bit back in that first game, knowing that they weren't probably going to make a comeback and that there was that potential of a, of a rematch. Um, I think that they probably held some back against Michigan in that second half. I mean, they go from putting up 27 points in the first half to putting up just seven and, and, and none of them came in the third quarter. Um, so I, I think that I, I, I guess to answer your question here, I do think that Georgia, um, you know, knew in the back of their minds that they had a strong chance to get that rematch with Alabama. I think that they knew that they had to get through Michigan first. And so that's where their focus was. But I think that the driving factor behind all of that, behind that time that they spent on themselves, behind that motivation to go, you know, advance to a national championship was the potential rematch with Alabama. Yeah. And, you know, I I guess the next thing we'll talk about, um, because I don't, you know, I know that Brock Bowers did leave the Michigan game with an injury, but apparently it's been something that he's been dealing with pretty much throughout the season. I don't think there's yeah, too much of a concern. Just just based on the way that Kirby Smart described that, and I don't have any intel here, but the way that Kirby Smart described that, having seen you know fellow teammates of mine in high school battle shoulder injuries, it th- it makes me think it's a labrum. Really? Okay. And that makes, and that's something that you can play through. And it's something you know? that you can play through. You put a brace on that and, and, and you can go play, you can play through that and, and deal with an off season. I mean, Georgia has had players do that in the past. Nicobe Dean did that last season, had an off season surgery for a torn labrum. Um, you know, Keely Ringo did it when he arrived at Georgia, but he had played through his entire senior season of high school um, with it, with a torn labrum before it was discovered when he got to Georgia. Um, and, and so I think that, a lot of times that that is an injury that you can play through. It's one that you're going to have to fight through. But I think that, you know, as Kirby said, he's a football player. He's tough. He, these are things that you got to deal with. And, and, and given the stakes of this game, I think that uh, I think that you're still going to see Georgia try and get the ball to Brock Bowers as much as possible, even given that shoulder being a little bit banged up. 
and I got to be honest with you. I mean, it, he seems to be fine. If he's been dealing with it for, you know, before that Michigan game, he looked fine in the Michigan game. He looked fine in the Alabama game as far as any time that he had to extend and get those, you know, arms over his head. I think he's going to be just fine. I think it's a hindrance, um, you know, more of a nuisance, I guess, is the better way to put it. Not really a hindrance, or at least I haven't seen it being hinder- a hindrance up to this point. Uh, from Alabama's perspective, and we'll get the Georgia perspective here in just a second, but you did bring up the offensive line. Uh, Emil Ikior Jr. goes out with an injury. True freshman, five-star true freshman, J.C. Latham comes in at right guard. You know, Damian George had been, you know, it, it kind of seemed like Alabama was trending towards making him the, the right tackle um, and, and against in the Iron Bowl. No offense to him, but he was pretty, it was pretty bad. Uh, it was a pretty poor performance. Chris Owens got inserted back into the lineup. He did, you know, uh, very well against Georgia, probably his best game of the season. He goes out with an injury late in the game of the Cotton Bowl, during the Cotton Bowl, and it was not Damian George that came in. It was Amari Kite. Uh, From what Nick Saban has said, and he has not made anything definitive, but they're hoping to get both players back for the national championship, and I think that would be very big. Um, You know, Seth McLaughlin is still starting at center. He ended up being the starter against Georgia, really solidified the offensive line. They played extremely well together. And I think that even though Seth McLaughlin didn't play as well uh, against Cincinnati, the unit as a whole just seems to be playing much better. Now, granted, the, the right side of the offensive line was went right back to being an issue. Um, now, but at the same time, I think Cincinnati probably has a little bit you know higher tier pass rusher with Sanders coming off the edge. A lot of speed, a lot of talent. Um, but from Georgia's perspective, uh, you know, with the injuries, because it's not just the offensive line. Alabama also, you know, Josh Job is out for the season. Kool-Aid McKinstry starting now. You know, Jalen Armour Davis started against Cincinnati, but he was dealing with a hip injury, did not perform well uh, to start the game. They end up shifting to Kyrie Jackson, who got kind of his first career start at Alabama. He was a Juco corner, very talented player. Um, I think he performed quite well. Um, but at the same time, now you're looking at pretty much two new corners potentially, unless Jalen Armour Davis is able to get, you know, healthy enough to perform at a higher level. And then plus, you know, the John Mechie injury, you're going against Cincinnati. Alabama's not really looking to throw the football too much because of their talented secondary, not having a guy like John Mechie is not that big of a deal because they're able to run the football against Georgia, much different approach. You know, you want to have your best in the passing game. So from Alabama's perspective, Injuries are a massive concern, at least in my opinion. Are there any concerns for Georgia as far as injuries are concerned going into this game? No, and I, and I really noted this in our takeaways um, last – I guess it was yesterday after the pressers with Kirby and Nick. Um, you know, I, I think that you heard a lot about injuries on that Alabama side, and, and I think that one thing that has changed for Georgia since this last meeting is that they've gotten healthier whether it was, you know, like we mentioned earlier, Nolan Smith was dealing with a, with a, you know, nagging injury late in that season. Uh, You know, the the three weeks off he played, but the three weeks off had to have helped. Um, George Pickens coming off of a torn ACL, um, making his season debut against Georgia tech in the regular season finale, playing against Alabama, making one heck of a catch, um, but not having a huge impact in that game. Again, three weeks, uh, another three weeks post-injury has got to help. Um, you're, you're, you looked at Jamari Salyer and Chris Smith, two guys that played in that game again, 
but were dealing with nagging injuries that had been bothering them late in that season. Jamari Salyer just had one of, if not the best games of his career this past weekend uh, against uh, Aiden Hutchinson and that, and that Michigan pass rush. Um, so he, he, you know, he's feeling good. Um, Chris Smith, you know, played, got ejected in the first half for targeting, but luckily for him, first half, lucky for Georgia too, first half. And he's, he's only, you know, he's not going to miss any of the national championship game because of that. Um, but he's, he's out there without a brace. Now um, he was dealing with a knee injury. Um, you've got lad McConkey who, who, you know, had a little bit of an undisclosed injury. Um, Kirby had told us that he was a little bit banged up during bowl practices. Well, he caught two passes and looked just fine. So I think for Georgia, it's they, they are starting to get a lot healthier. Um, you know, the COVID, COVID was a concern for them going into the bowl game, um, but didn't really see appear to have anybody missing for that. Um, at, at least any of the big hitters, um, you know, in and players for them. Um, so I think that, you know, if, if you're Georgia, obviously you want to stay healthy with the COVID um, and, and the rising cases all around the country, but you also want to, um, you know, keep your guys healthy and practice this week, understanding that you've gotten a lot healthier and you don't want to lose ground now. Yeah. Uh, and that to me could end up playing a huge factor in this game. You know, you got one team kind of trending in the right direction with injuries. You got one, you know, who's really not. And, and granted, it's looking like, you know, they're, at least Nick Saban has said that they're hoping both those offensive linemen will be back. I think that would be a nice little boost. I hope they're not hindered in any way because, like I said, I think they're going to have a much tougher task going against Georgia's defensive front and what they're going to try to throw at them this go around. Um, but then also, you know, uh, granted, really every anybody and everybody tried to cover Brock Bowers in that last matchup. I mean, Brian Branch probably saw the most action against him, but you saw, jo- uh, you know, um, Josh Job. You saw – um, you know, a lot of different guys. I mean, uh, Kool-Aid McKinstry, uh, uh, Christian Harris, Henry Toa Toa, DeMarco Hellams, Jordan Battle, Daniel Wright, all these different players. Um, and, and granted, I think that that will be the approach again. I don't think Alabama's got anybody defensively that you say, okay, we're going to mirror or shadow Brock Bowers with this particular guy as much as possible because, A, it's where he lines up, but, B, you know, I don't think there's one defender where you're sitting there saying, I think uh, I feel really super confident in the matchup that we have going against him. Um, but, you know, uh, Mechie's going to be a big deal for Alabama. There's a couple of keys, and, and this will be the last thing we talk about. It's keys to victory for both teams. And for Alabama, for me, you know, we've talked about it a little bit. Um, I think that, you know, George is going to take more chances getting after Bryce Young. When they take those chances, I think Alabama needs to be able to try to exploit that as much as possible and make them pay for it. I think they have the ability to do that. Jameson Williams, you know, he had some big plays against Georgia in the last matchup. I think he can have some big plays on Monday, um, but it's not just going to come from him. I think it's a lot of guys. Granted, you haven't really seen Alabama take advantage too much of a screen game pretty much at all this year. If Georgia's really going to dial up some extra pressure, I also think you can make them pay for it that way. Um, You know, I I don't think that Alabama – I liked how they ran tempo last game to really get, especially Jordan Davis. You know, he, he was sucking wind fairly quickly and he kind of, they were able to neutralize him in that way. I think that's a recipe for success. I think if you commit too much to the run game early, then you play right into Georgia's favor, like we've talked about. And, and I think Jordan Davis of Alabama does that can have a much bigger impact in this game than he did in the last one. Um, but you know, the, and also Granted, I think they need to go about it a little bit of a different way because I don't think they had success running or uh, stopping the run going against Georgia, but it is 
trying to put the game as much on Stetson Bennett's shoulders as possible. Because while I do think he is a good enough quarterback to win a national championship, we talked about how he was underrated in the last time that we did the crossover podcast. You know, I mean, he still threw for 340 yards and three touchdowns. And the two interceptions, they were, you know, it was it was poor. It affected the game. But, you know, I, I think he was being pressed. Um, I think there was a lot of pressure on him. And, you know, I think Alabama needs to try to put Georgia's offense in, in a position to – to where that's the game plan or that has to be the game plan moving forward for you. What are some of your keys to victory for Georgia? Yeah. I mean, it would be a lot of the opposite there. Um, I, you know, I think if you, when you talk about this game, the first thing that you've got to talk about is Georgia's ability to get pressure on the quarterback. And, and it, you know, the, the zero sacks is probably the thing that stands out the most to me from that last game, because you heard Kirby say it after that game, some of the deficiencies in the secondary that they have, the inexperience, the youth that they have back there um, was probably covered up some during the regular season by their ability to get pressure. Some of those, it wasn't necessarily coverage sacks. It was a true sack that was covering up some of the, the, the poor play in the secondary. Um, and, and when Georgia, you know, Georgia got beat several times um, throughout the regular season, but they were able to make up for that with sacks. They weren't able to do that in the in the SEC championship game. And so I think that you've got to start there, um, you know, going like you said with Jamison Williams in the passing game. You know, I, I think that you've got to get pressure on Bryce Young so that he can't sit back there and pick you apart. Along those same lines, I think that they've got to tackle a lot better. There were a lot of times that they, I felt like that they had Bryce Young wrapped up. They had a guy wrapped up, and then all of a sudden he was he was gone. And I, and I would say con- keeping contain better too. Um, you know, I, Bryce Young and, and Kirby has said this too. Um, Bryce Young is is probably underrated in terms of his ability to make plays with his legs, extend whether that's extending plays or beating you with his legs and, and, and moving the chains that way. It's not his you know preferred form of method, um, you know, but I, I think that. I think that he's fully capable of doing that. And he showed it. I mean, whether it was rolling out and kind of directing John Mechie into the corner of that end zone uh, or, or, you know, going that same direction in the second quarter, you know, taking off and running with it himself and getting in the end zone that way. Um, he, he was able to escape pressure. So you've got to tackle, you know, you've got to get pressure first of all, but you've got to, capitalize on that pressure. You've got to tackle, you've got to keep contain and you've got to finish plays. Um, offensively, I, I think that, you know, on, on the flip side of what you said about keeping this game in Stetson Bennett's hands, you want to take this game out of Stetson Bennett's hands as much as possible. If you're Georgia, you don't want to end up in the same scenario where you are asking Stetson Bennett to throw the ball 40 times in this game, because that's not a recipe for success with, with him. Uh, you know, he, he can throw the ball, it's, it's not, you know, it's not his MO to drop back and, you know, sling it around 40 times a game. He, he, there's a reason that he's in a, you know, play action based offense, as opposed to a West coast, you know, air raid offense. Um, You know, so I think that, you know, along to, to do so you've got to be able to run the ball. And and I think that that, that, that puts the pressure on James Cook, Zamir White, and this Georgia offensive line to be able to be effective in their run game. Um, I felt like that they were able to do that early and abandon it a little bit early um, in, in the last meeting. And I think that they've got to stick to it. And, and then my last key here would just be, you know, learn lessons from that last game 
and apply them here if you're Georgia. You know, you, mentally, this this is a huge mental hurdle for them to overcome. You know, beating Alabama, I think that it's probably got to help that it's not in Mercedes-Benz Stadium because three of their four losses have come there. Um, and, and the other one came in Tuscaloosa, so that's already a challenge. So I think that going to this neutral site, um, a, a true neutral site here, um, not that Atlanta wasn't a true neutral site because if anything, it was probably pro Georgia as opposed to pro Alabama. Um, but I think that when you get to a fresh site, Indianapolis, neither of these teams is familiar playing there. Um, I, I couldn't tell you the last time that Georgia has played, you know, in Indianapolis, probably the closest that they've been was South Bend in 2017. Um, so I, I think that, you know, you, this is a big stage and there's a reason that these two talented teams are on this stage. Uh, but if you're Georgia, you can't let the mental side beat you. You can't let the fact that you're lining up against that a beat you, you know, because you you've got some talented players too. you Kirby smart. You've got some talented players too, Todd Munkin and, and Dan Lanning. Uh, and, and, you know, for the players, I think that they've got to understand that they are talented enough to play with Alabama. Um, there's a reason that they're a favorite again. Um, and, and I think that they can't let that last game beat them here. You bring up a great point with Bryce Young's legs, um, and that's something that also, you know, we've talked about a little bit. Um, you know, I, I think that it was very important in the first matchup because you didn't have a, a very comp or a very healthy Brian Robinson Jr. You, uh, you know, the, the run game was going to be somewhat limited, and you knew that it was going to be somewhat limited, so – you say, okay, you can compensate a little bit of that by having Bryce Young run the football. He ran three times for 40 yards and a touchdown in the first half. Really didn't run too much in the second half, but I don't feel like he really needed to. There is no tomorrow when, when, when it reaches next Monday. You know, there's no game that you got to worry about him being healthy for. Now, granted, if he has some catastrophic injury, certainly that will, you know, impact 2022 and that, you know, season in the fall. But as far as, you know, getting banged up a little bit, um, you know, hurting your shoulder a little bit, hurting your ankle a little bit. You'll have plenty of time to heal before the spring. I think if you're Alabama, uh, the, the, you want to, you know, limit what you ask of Brian Robinson. Don't put too much on his plate. I don't feel like that's going to help you too much, but you can compensate by having Bryce Young not only do the same things he did in the first half with his legs, but also continuing that throughout the game. I think that could be very beneficial for Alabama. So that's a great point by you and, and Georgia kind of being prepared for that. Um, and it's something that I th do think that you're going to end up seeing. Uh, Palmer, this has been a lot of fun. It was fun last time. It's very cool that, you know, a month apart, we're sitting here having the, pretty much the same conversation because two SEC teams are in the national championship. And I know that you're going to be in Indianapolis. I'm heading up there as well. It's going to be a fun experience where I, I think um, we might try to end up doing some kind of Twitter space, kind of like we did. Yeah, I don't think it's going to be hours before kickoff or, you know, a couple hours before kickoff. I think it'll probably be like the day before, like a Sunday thing. I don't know what y'all's plans are, but we've talked about maybe doing something like that and getting some kind of updates as far as, you know, we'll know more on Sunday than we do today as far as where both teams at from a health standpoint and what's kind of been going on with both programs or both teams going in. But, uh, dude, I really appreciate you taking some time and hopping on here with me, brother. Yeah, Clint, really appreciate you doing the same. And, and like you said, um, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be a stranger to, to Bama on three. And, and, and I really hope that you're not a stranger to dogs HQ this week. So, um, like you said, really appreciate it. Looking forward to, uh, spend a little bit of time together in Indianapolis and, and, and crossing over in person again. Um, you know, exciting to do that. Um, especially given the stage, given the talent of these two teams and given the magnitude of this game. So Clint really appreciate you, uh, you know, doing this and, and, uh, look forward to seeing you in the Indy. 
Absolutely. This has been the crossover podcast between the Bam on Three show and Dogs HQ. Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older in present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Fanduel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text HOPE NY in New York.